Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Baggies broadcast. It is season 2 episode 40. My name is Luke Hatfield. I am joined as ever by our man Matt Wilson. Matt, um, quite a week for an Albion reporter, hasn't it? Yeah, and also a Villa supporter. Quite a week for <laughs> yeah. them as well, I imagine, Luke. Let me know how that felt on Tuesday night. Uh, I've, I've been very eager not to rub it in, uh, to be honest. Yeah, to be and, fair, you, know, you were very magnanimous afterwards. I don't, you know... I understand my role as uh, the Albion podcast presenter is is to balance it between you know a bit of unbiased as long as as long as biased toward Albion you know Albion are almost my second team now. Absolutely, I mean um, I had to I had to write the match report and try and keep it as balanced as possible, um, which I think I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although the story on the night for me was was arguably Albion because mm. of the because of the crowd. And because of the gutsy performance, because of the red card, and and because of the and because of the fact that it was essentially at the end a reserve team with a couple of kids yeah. clinging on. Um, but I'm sure we'll come on to that. Um, but yeah, the season's over now, so this will be well. We're thinking this will be the last podcast, but maybe one more yeah. when the manager gets announced. Um, so there should be one in the next couple, two or three weeks, whenever. Whenever the manager gets announced, and then after that, we'll we'll probably down tools for the summer, shall we? Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it's been a long old season, hasn't it, Matt? And we need a break. It has been a long season. Yeah, a lot of games. I've uh, covered more than fifty games this season, uh, which you know is is com- compared to a Premier League season is um, is vastly different. Midweek trips to all play all manner of places. Uh, Friday night trips to flipping Middlesbrough. It's, oh. I was gut- actually this week. I was gutted when um, Sunderland beat Portsmouth in the playoffs because my folks live down in Portsmouth. That's a lovely little trip for me. Oh yeah, but Sunderland. Oh, I don't need that. Next oh, season. It's a long old way to go. Um, what about the news just broken re- literally before this podcast? Pulis gone. Um, no real surprise there. I don't. No, think. that was to be expected. I mean, I think Middlesbrough, like a lot of teams in the Championship, targeted promotion. And top six was probably a minimum for them, mm. and they were they were they would look like they were going to get it for most of the season, and then obviously they had that five game losing streak, which sort of killed their killed their season. I think more to do with the fact that the fans are very unhappy up there. I think they've scored forty nine goals in forty six league games. You know, it's just it's just it's, it is joyless at times. Um, doesn't have a very long shelf life, does he, Pulis? If well, not winning games. In, the, in the Premier League, he's got a longer one in the Premier League because the the modus operandi for the for the teams he's with, like Albion, is to stay up. And mm. you know, you can justify that style of play um, against Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, etc. But you can't really justify it in the Championship when actually Norwich, Derby, even Villa and Albion yeah. have proven that actually the way to win games is to score goals and um, you know I I know Sheffield United had a very strong defence that's what took them up this season but actually in the Championship you, you need to be able to put the ball in the net and uh, yeah, no surprise that Pulis is going to I'll be interested to see where he goes next I think he'll probably pick up a, a struggling Premier League side come November December when Chairman start to get a bit jittery. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if someone pushed the Pulis, Pulis button, but you know, no, there's, no, there's no. I would be surprised to see a Championship club go for him because I, don't, I just don't think that style of football gets you out of leagues. I think think it mm. might keep you in leagues, but I don't think it gets you out of them. Yeah, certainly. Um, let's get on to the game because you know you talked about 
goals um, being a, a regular occurrence for, for Albion and Villa. Um, I tell you what, they weren't over two legs really. I mean, I know it was two one first leg, but second leg, West Brom won, Aston Villa nil. Obviously, Villa winning four three on penalties. Um, the atmosphere, Matt, and for me, having covered Albion nowhere near as long as you, but also having covered you know other games this season, I've been been to Villa Park. It was the loudest that I've heard any ground this season, um, and that includes that includes two trips to Leeds. Um, I mean, it was just absolutely stunning um, the way that Albion were g'd up, all the fans were g'd up, every end of the ground, absolutely backing Jimmy Shan's side, and it was something to behold. I thought, yeah, the Hawthorns is great for that when it gets going because it's enclosed, mm. so the, the sound reverberates around, and it's not a bowl like um, Pride Park, yeah, or Southampton. You know, it 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 is still got that. Although it's enclosed, it's still got that old school feel. Mm. Um, I thought it was the best atmosphere I've seen at the Hawthorns, probably ever. I I don't think I've you know whether as a fan or or as a or as a reporter, I don't think I've witnessed something quite like that before. Um, and I mean, just credit credit to the supporters really for making it that that cauldron of noise. And I think they, I think they played more than their part. I think they spurred that team on to perform heroically mm. um, in the face of, of what they were fa- in, you know, adversity. Um, obviously, Villa aren't Manchester City. Let's, let, shouldn't pretend that they are. Yeah. Um, but Albion were without Gareth Barry, Jake Livermore, um, Dwight Gale, Hal Robson, Carnu. During the match, they lost Chris Brunt, Stefan Johansson. Matt Phillips, Jay Rodriguez. Mm. You know, you look at what they finished the game with. Um, Tosin Adarabio in central midfield, who I actually thought played really well when he came on in that position, holding yeah. midfield. I mean, he he suits that role. I think. I, I, it, it's a. I wish they'd played him there maybe earlier on in the season because he's a lovely ball player. Yeah, but he is prone to making the odd mistake. Now at the back, that means that if he gives away the ball, all of a sudden they're thrown goal. But if you give the ball away in midfield, it's not in the world. I mean, yeah. It's bad, obviously, but it's not in the world. But I thought he was superb when he came on. Um, you know, I was, there was a couple of players I was disappointed with on the night. Jacob Murphy, although he did liven up in the second half. There, there, yeah. was, a, there, was, there was a 10 minute burst where he looked dangerous. But overall, I think he's too lightweight. And, and need, you know, I, I don't think he really um, delivered in his loan spell. But also Jonathan Leco, I thought, Unless he'd been told to jockey the men and, and, and save his energy, but I can't imagine that because he, for me, that was that was a poor performance from him because he he was running less than um, the players that were that were that had been on the pitch for for ninety minutes. Now, perhaps it's difficult as a sub to get up to the speed of a game like that. Yeah, perhaps it's difficult as a, as a player who hasn't played much senior first team football this season to, to get up to speed. But that was slightly disappointing. Um, the rest of them, though, were absolutely immense. I mean, the back three, Dawson, Higazi and and uh, Bartley, were s- superb. Yeah. I, I, I think it was arguably um, Dawson's best game of the season. It was probably Bartley's best game of the season. They were both absolutely, absolute mad mountains. Higazi's been a bit more consistent than those two this year. Um, and he did also sort of lead to Brunt's sending off by trying that Cruyff turn but apart from that he was mm. absolutely immense um, 
everything was going just like Villa Park really he was like a magnet to the ball the way they marshaled Tammy Abraham who scored 26 goals this season I mean you barely got a sniff yeah I mean that it was it is three on one so that's that's to be expected but I think more importantly was the way they sort of marshaled um, the, the whole team Grealish and McGinn for most of the game I mean yeah. and for most of the tie to be honest I mean Villa didn't play well in, 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 arguably in either, in either game um, according to the people that watch Villa more regularly than I do um, but I think that's more to do with the fact that Albion stopped them playing um, mm. Grealish there was, he wasn't fouled he wasn't kicked like he, like he is elsewhere in, by the teams but he was marshalled away from danger yeah. given no space no time to, to pick that pass McGinn was really influential in the first half I thought I thought McGinn was going to have a man of the match performance at that stage mm. but then he got quiet in the second half he didn't really do much um, obviously he, he was the one that was fouled for, for when Brunt was sent off so I suppose he's had a bit of an influence in the game there but to take take them to penalties after being 2-1 down and down to 10 men in both legs and, and with the amount of people that they lost personnel but you know both before the game and after the game you know Villa had probably their, their strongest team out yeah I don't think there was anybody that was injured for them no. Arbin, Arbin had all Arbin had none of the luck you know they might have had a penalty at Villa Park they might have had a penalty at the Hawthorns in the first 10 minutes as well when that ball mm. hits El Ghazi's arm you know it's one of those ones where you want if 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 you're the team that um it's it's against you want it if it's the team if you're the team that um has has done that you you don't want it to be given so but it hit his arm so and it and it wasn't it wasn't sort of close in it was from a long way away so mm. you could argue although i think Holgate does give him a, a li- it was Holgate wasn't it? gave him a little push yeah. that almost pushed him into it so you could argue that was a that was a penalty um, I just don't think Albion got the luck in a number of a number of things, and I think on another night um, they really could have gone through. I think if Brunt doesn't get sent off, then then maybe they do. Um, so, you know, it was it, but Brunt was um, said something quite apt. I thought afterwards, which as, as well as apologising for the for the red card, which was his first in twelve years at the club, which is <laughs> I had no idea that that was uh, his record, which is unbelievable. Yeah. considering I, mean, I suppose he's been. Played left wing and, and, and left back for a lot, but even at left back, you expect him to be sent off a bit more. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was that was staggering. Um, and you do have to say ill discipline over, over the last three games has cost Albion. But that being said, what Brunt said afterwards, I thought was I thought was really apt. You know, he said he apologised for the red card first and foremost, and then he said, "But I think we've I think we've got I think we've achieved something tonight." And he was talking about the crowd. He was talking about I think we've. I think we've rediscovered a bit of pride and, and, and we've started to reconnect with the fans. And you, you did come away from the Hawthorns on Tuesday night thinking, well, at 1am, whatever time we left, yeah. <laughs> thinking that if, the, if you're going to go out of the playoffs, that's the way to go out. Yeah. I mean, I think they could help hold their heads high with that performance. They left nothing out on the pitch there. Mm. Um, they were all desperate to get through. Um, they nearly did. And to take it to penalties against, you know, the informed team of the division and considering everything that had gone before deserves some praise. Um, and, you know, we've criticised at times this season, but actually I thought that was quite a valiant and gutsy performance on Tuesday. Not only from those on the pitch, but also from those in the stands. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there is a feeling now that, OK, didn't get win promotion, um, it's been a strange old season. Um, some high points, some low points, some baffling baffling points as well. But if, if and it's a big if, but if Albion 
now reset the club, get some fresh faces in, not only um, in the dugout but also on the on the pitch. And there's no, there was there were signs on Tuesday that out the fans are so ready to reconnect with their club. They're so ready to be whipped up and taken on a ride and 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 rediscover their love for the game because. They had years and years of Pulis where things were, you know, as much as you can respect Pulis for, for, for what he achieves, there was there was little enjoyment and little love at, at the time um, for that style of football. Then when Pulis goes and you think, okay, now's the time to to rediscover that love. Yeah. You have the disaster of Pardew and relegation. Now, the Darren Moore era, I suppose, will be remembered for those six games at the end of the season when... Everyone fell in love with with that idea, um, and also I suppose the first twelve games of this season when they were scoring goals for fun and and, and everything was rosy. But once again, that that turned sour pretty quickly. I don't think supporters were ever fully convinced by what he was trying to do. Although they probably um, appreciated the the uh, endeavour to play that sort of style, mm. I don't think they were convinced that it was working. And you know, by the end, um, you know that you would regularly hear boos at, at, at the ground, which strange for a team that were fourth. So now I think there is a chance to have a sustained period of togetherness and unity, all those things that that Darren spoke about, mm. provided they get the right man at the helm, and they and they obviously they get some good players in. Now it's easier said than done um, because they are facing a big rebuild. Um, but now it's 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 up to the likes of Luke Dowling, um, technical director, to and and I suppose Mark Jenkins as well, but primarily I suppose Luke um, to deliver um, you know a vision for the future and um, you know a, a a head coach and a team to match the the obvious support that is there mm. for the team. You know they want to they want to have something to cheer. Um, that was evident on Tuesday night. The sad thing for me is that the, 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 the moment they finally fell in love with that team and finally became convinced that they were battling for for the fans is the moment that has consigned it to history. Really, you know, yeah. you've got so much uncertainty around so many of the players now, um, and a lot of them will probably leave or return to their their parent clubs, um, and it's going to be a busy old summer. But I think if you know, as as heartbreaking as it was, I think there was positives to come out of Tuesday night. Yeah, certainly. And just tracking back um, to the beginning, there, you talked about Adarabio playing in central defensive midfield. Would you have him back in that position? Because I think Man City would be willing to let him go. I can't see him getting into City side. He won't get into City side. Um, I've been, I've not been his biggest fan this season. I think he's too casual on the ball. But on Tuesday night, I was so impressed with him, and. I don't see why he's obviously a tidy ball player. The the issue would be his wages. He's on a lot of money at City, and, and mm. I believe it's somewhere in the region of fifty thousand, fifty four thousand pounds a week. Oh, crikey! I know. So I don't see how Albin, you know, could afford that. Not that they were paying, not that they would have been paying all that this season, but I don't see how they could afford someone of that ilk on, on those wages. Yeah. Um, you know, though that that is probably sim- that is similar to what Dwight Gale is on. Mm. And th- that could be a sticking point as well yeah. for any future deal. You know, there is an obvious swap to be had there between Rondon and Gale, but Albion need to need to um, become more a more sustainable championship club. They can't afford to have 
players on, on Premier League wages. I know the parachute payments are only dwindling by, uh, I think it's seven million-ish. Mm. Um, and that should be made up quite easily in player sales. Yeah. Um, but there's also a um, dressing room dynamic you've got to think of. Because my argument would be, well, Gale is... Um, well, he scored 24 goals this season. And if you played him down the middle all season and if you had good service to him, he probably would get you that next season at least. Yeah. Um, he's a superstar in the championship. But there's two question marks. A, would he, does he want to do another season in the championship? He's 28, 29 now. He probably wants to kick on for the Premier League. Mm. Um, and B, would his wages, um, even if Albin could perhaps use the Rondon money say that for example I mean I'm hy- this is hypothetical but say for example they agree a deal with Newcastle where okay we'll do a swap deal but you give us 5 million for on top of Rondon because we think you know obviously Rondon's got that 16.5 million pound release clause yeah. we think Gales worth 10 million give us six and a half and we'll have a deal and then you put that money towards Gales wages mm. but the problem is what about the dressing room dynamic and also, does Gale want to do another season in Championship? You saw he's obviously fallen in love with, with the club and then the fans have fallen in love with him. I mean, you saw the footage of him during that second leg. I mean, it must have been gut-wrenching for him. The footage of him celebrating the goal, Dawson's goal, you know, that wasn't um, that wasn't a selfish celebration of him saying, oh, great, I can now, you know, we're getting to Wembley and I can perform on the big stage because he was he's banned for Wembley. He wouldn't yeah. have been banned for the Wembley game. That was that was somebody who was fully invested in the team, um, who wanted them to win promotion because he he's part of that team. And also, I wonder if part of it was oh, if Albin go up, I can I can come here and yeah. we can be in the Premier League together, and it, and we can you know hopefully have success together. Gale's been a, a breath of fresh air at, at Albin. He's been um, you know. Not just on what you see on the pitch, but off the pitch, behind behind the scenes, his his work ethic and his and his and his desire is is infectious. His character is infectious. He's such a a lovely chapper and also just a, 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 a so determined. And that determination and that and that desire has almost cost him. You know, in, in that in that first leg with that red card, um, because he was so. So wanted to get that ball when yeah. Morrison came across that he he perhaps should should have just pulled out should should have thought that okay we've got a second leg to think of, um, you know it 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 will be it will be such a shame if that's the last thing we see of Dwight Gale in an Albion shirt because you know it just fits it, it he is he is the best number nine they've had. For so long, yeah, and um, you know, all clubs love a goal scorer. You know, that's not beat around the bush. Every club loves loves a man who can stick it in the net. But he brings so much more than that. He's not just a poacher. His all round game is brilliant, and uh, as I said, off the pitch, he's fantastic as well. So, I I would love to see him come next season. But you know, he's got a career to think about, and he'll have offers. Having scored twenty four goals in the championship, I'm sure he will. I suppose it's about whether, you know, what does he think? Does he rule with his heart or his head? I'd love to see him come back. But, you know, similarly, you wouldn't begrudge him, you know, 
a move elsewhere mm. um, because you know it's his career after all it certainly is um, and you said you know there's no shame in the way that West Brom went out considering the way things went and you compare that to the way Leeds went out and I know it's a completely different game a completely different tie but they were they were at home as well but you know they had the lead in the first leg and the way they've kind of capitulated in that in that second leg I mean it's almost complete contrast to the way Albion did it because Albion you know they can hold their heads high I think a lot of them Leeds players will be looking and saying we've we've really missed out here and I'm not saying that West Brom fans West Brom players won't think that but the way they've gone out is completely different isn't it it is and I do wonder if the atmosphere at the Hawthorns will while that sort of spurred Albion on, I wonder if the atmosphere at Ellen Road might have um, played on their players and, and, and put pressure on them. Um, not saying that they, you know, they were any different, mm. um, but the, just the way that that dynamic works. Um, but I think over the course of the season, Leeds have been far more convincing as a team. Yeah. And I, I don't, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think Albion can have any sort of one-upmanship on them over the course of the season. I think what Bielsa has done there is, is, has been very impressive and if he stays on for next season they will be a force next season you, absolutely, you know you can almost guarantee that so um, you know it, it was a different way yeah like you say Albion went out with their heads held high Leeds probably felt like it was an opportunity missed but they, Leeds finished the season with their heads held high I think because mm. of, of what they achieved over the course of the, of the, uh, of the 46 games previously So, Would you have fancied Albion against Derby in the final? No I wouldn't have I think um, at the start of the season, Lampard was quite naive tactically, but I think he's grown as a manager over the course of the season. And that was probably what Albion wanted to see from Darren Moore. Um, and they didn't see it as, as readily. You know, you can, you can forgive mistakes at the start of, the, of, a, of a fledgling manager's career, but you want to see them develop and grow. And I think Derby have seen Lampard do that. Yeah, I'm not sure Albion um, saw Darren Moore do that. Um, although he did, I mean, that's probably a bit unfair because he did, he did tweak, he did tweak, um, you know, certain things at certain times, made them harder to beat after they lost Barnes. So, you know, there, there were signs, there were smaller signs, but perhaps not as as much as as you'd want. Um, and, and you know, you can't forget that Derby beat Albion seven two across two legs. Mm. Um, and I think that Derby's pace and and the way that they play football is exactly the sort of football that Albion are vulnerable to. It's a different football to Villa. Yeah, Villa are um, they don't have any much pace at all, really. You know, Grealish, McGinn, Abraham, Adoma, none of them are that fast. El Ghazi is the only one who can really, who really looks like he can El beat Garzi, a man with pace. El Ghazi is the only one that 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 looks like he can beat a man. And, and El Ghazi, I thought, was their most dangerous player across yeah. across both legs. Yeah, um, obviously Grealish has got that ability, but. You know, Ghazi was the one for me where I always thought if if Villa were going to score a goal, a proper goal from open play, and I know they got the the long strike and the penalty, but if they're going to carve Albion open, I feel like it's going to come from El Ghazi. Yeah, Albion are vulnerable to pace, and, and they and against Derby they they couldn't um, deal with Mount Wilson, um, you know, even others um, flooding forward at pace at them. And across two legs, I think they would have given them a good game, don't, especially if they played like they did on Tuesday. Mm. Um, but I think Derby would probably actually might have beaten them. So um, it'd be interesting to see how Villa get on against them because if Villa play like they did again on Tuesday, I, I actually do fear for them. Yeah, um, I think they've got 
they might have a, the, the benefit of last season. You know that they've been there, done it before. They'll, they'll be determined not to to to, to muck it up again. Um, but I do fear for them because Derby feel like a team on the up at the moment. I would say um, the one thing about Villa's performances, though, I think Albion did a fantastic job with the way they just restricted the space. I don't think Derby are really capable of restricting space the way no. Albion did. Over no, two legs. although although Tamori is a very good defender and their right their fullbacks are pretty decent and Bradley Johnson is is an experienced head at holding mid. So mm. for me, you know, the attack, you know, obviously attack is, is their form of defence in many ways. Um, but I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I'm going to the game, so um, should be a good one. Should be a cracker. Yeah, um, back to the game. Of course, you know we saw the Brunt red card. Any complaints? I mean, I I don't think you can complain about I don't that. Think you can ever complain about that. I mean, firstly, he stands on McGinn's wrist, which he gets away with. Which you know you could argue is accidental, but it might be one of those where you just leave. You make sure you. You don't step over. You know, it's a derby atmosphere. It's a big game. You make yeah. sure you don't make take a big step over the player. Just a little step, and if you catch him, you catch him, and whatever. Yeah, I think that could have been. I don't think it was a red, but I think that could have been a yellow. Mm. Um, and then obviously the he, the slide and tackle on McGinn afterwards, which he gets the first yellow for. I thought that was slightly harsh because McGinn goes to shield the ball, and do you know what? If if McGinn get mistimes that, he stamps on Brunt's leg. Yeah. So I thought that was slightly harsh. I think it's probably because of the, the pace that he went in. But you know that that was to me that was a bit more six six or one half a dozen of the other. But the the second yellow card, I don't think I have any complaints. No. He, you know it was it was a lunging tackle. He'd been sold out by Hagazi, as I said, but he's he's dived in and and yeah, it's it's, it's a red card. And, and Jimmy Shan and Chris Brunt both said afterwards we can't have any any qualms about that. Um, but yeah, ill discipline over the course of the two legs has cost Albion. You know you had Gale. You know, and, and as much as, as as harsh as that red card was, he you know he he had been warned with the foul on Grealish as well. You know, it's accumulation of fouls to me. Yeah. Um, the third one on steer is soft, but it's an accumulation of fouls. And mm. he, I wonder if Jimmy Shan would have taken him off had he had Hal Robson Carno on the bench. Yeah. I think he probably would have. I think and, so. And Robson Carno, you know, it all stems from that. Yeah, and if if Albion had gone in the second half, in the second leg, I think they would have gone through. I really do. I think you're right there as well with Robson Carnu because I mean I know Shan after the game said that you know he wasn't going to bring him off, but you know you you're two one down to an Aston Villa side who look like they're they're getting a hold of the tie and you don't want the tie to get away from you. Perfect thing as we said before, throw Hal Robson Carnu on, try and kill the game a little bit, have him hold the ball up top. I think it would have been the right substitution to make for him had he had him available. Shan ran out of options by the end of the game. You know, by the end of the tie, he, he was throwing Lee Corn up front. You know, he, he'd run out of he'd run out of options, and that's not that's not his fault. Um, I think Jimmy Shan did did pretty well over the course of the two legs. You know, you can argue until the cows come home about the the style of play, but you know they were they were very close to getting it right at Villa Park, and at home they were far more um, they pressed higher. Although it's the same system, the five four one, mm. they pressed higher. They were they were. Up and at in Villa's faces, and they they made forced them into mistakes. Yeah, Villa played right into their hands second half, especially didn't they? I, ju- I, I, ju- I genuinely think Shan actually got his tactics right, and you know as you know, I think if he'd, if I think if he'd had the, the his first eleven to pick from in the same way that Smith had, I think Albion go through. Mm. <laughs> as simple as. Um, so yeah, it, 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 credit to Jimmy Shan there. Um, 
he's done well, hasn't he? I mean, you, you can't yeah. you can't really. Argue. I think the games that he lost were not necessarily um, his fault either. You know, the, the the game against Bristol City where they got blitzed three 0 I mean, I, you want your, you need your players to be a bit to stand up there a little bit more. I think you know he he was furious about that first goal as well, where you know he said I told them to play more percentage football and kick it long and obviously Sam Johnston passes it out to Livermore um, I think he's done quite well and, and and the good news is that he's been given assurances that he'll have a coaching role at the club next season should he should he want to stay but if he wants to go on and, and be a manager in his own right mm. at a League 1 or a League 2 club I think he's got every chance of succeeding um, he's, certainly impressed doesn't he he's yeah he's impressed um, well he's impressed me anyway I mean and I can only speak for myself, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I mean, we talk about the penalties, but Sam Johnston pulls out a phenomenal save during the 90 minutes to uh, ensure that extra time happens. Uh, the save from Madoma, I thought was absolutely superb. Um, oh, it was brilliant. Brilliant and, start. And, you know, Sam Johnston has made more saves than any other keeper in the, in the division this season. I think he gets a bit of unfair stick at times because... Okay, his game isn't complete. You know, he he is a bit susceptible to the long shot. I think. Yeah. But since Gary Walsh came in, I think he's been much better under crosses. Um, he claimed quite a few important ones on on Tuesday, and as a shot stopper, as a re- reaction shot stopper, I think he's I think he's pretty brilliant at times. I mean, yeah. he, that one against the Dome was fantastic. There's been a couple of more this you know this year in 2019 where he's just he's kept Alvin in it. Um, you know, I think he hasn't maybe kept the clean sheets that he would have wanted to, like he did last season. But you know, that that was under a much more pragmatic style of football under Steve Bruce at Villa. Yeah. Um, I think I think he's a, I actually think he's a good goalkeeper in terms and for considering where he, what age he is as well, twenty five. You know, he's going to develop. He's going to get better. Um, the prob- I think his his problem is, and the reason why he's, he's perhaps not been as warmly received by the supporters is that he's coming after Ben Foster. Who is, as we've seen this year at Watford, do you that's a, a very mi- good goalkeeper? Do you reckon it's a mixture of Ben Foster's replacement, but also the fact that he has come from Villa? I know he's signed from I Man hope, United. I but- hope that's not that. I hope that's got nothing to do with it. Because why should it? I mean, yeah. I hope that's got nothing to do with it. And also, Johnston is. You know, I said this about Gale, but Johnston is also a very affable, down-to-earth, humble chap off the pitch as well. Mm. He's. Um, He's yeah, he's just he's he's pretty strong willed and pretty strong minded as well. And I think he could be a really, really important player for Albion next season. Yeah. Um and I you know, I think I think there's been signs over the course of the season that he's that he's improved. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Um right, let's get into some questions quickly. Um Dan Carpenter with the first one. Um who would you like to think would be the best new boss for the Albion? Not who do you think will actually get the job. So who you, would you like or think would be best? So I mean, my preference, I think what Albion need is um, fresh faces, fresh ideas, start a left field appointment. Um, you know, you look at the, 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 the managers that have done well this season, Bielsa, um, Fark, um, Wilder, um, you know, even Lampard. They are not necessarily... Um, you know, experienced championship managers. I know Farker was there last season, but they're not. You know, they they are 
managers that the whole club gets behind. Yeah. The whole team gets behind. Um, from being brutally honest, the Chris Hewton for me would be a safe pair of hands. He's obviously taken two teams up from the championship, although one of those was eight, nine years ago now. But is it not just a bit um, uninspiring? You know, yeah. and, and I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying anything about his style of football because I think he plays pragmatic football for the for the occasion and 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 uh, and sometimes that 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 requires defensive football as we saw in the playoffs. Um, I think he would be far. I think he's been more adventurous. Um, you know, in the championship when he's got you know the squads to do that. But in, just in terms of the character, you know, he's, he's obviously a very decent man, Chris Hutton. Um but you, you, I want something a bit bolder, younger, hungrier, mm. a bit fresher. I'd love, I'd love to see them go and get, you know, appoint someone from left field, um, whether that's from lower down the leagues, a, a, a sort of Danny Cowley type, or whether it's someone from abroad. Um, you know, get somebody who just comes in, you know, like someone like Ralph Hausenhutel at Southampton, or somebody like, or someone like Farker, who comes in and is. Obviously, you know he needs needs to be a good manager because, um, as you, I think you said to me earlier, you, you you can go the other way. You can get someone like Walter Zenger. Yeah, but just a, something that, that that reinvigorates the club that completely freshens it up. Because I think you know the years of Pulis, and then to follow that up with Pardew, who was just another name on the merry-go-round, and then to follow that up um, with Darren Moore, who was an exciting you know appointment at the time but a gamble um you know I think I think Albion need to get away from that I don't know I just think they need something fresh that's that and that's mm. that's that's my I can't put my finger on it but I think they need someone to to come in and be and to be a character and to completely take take the club with them you know and mm. Darren even Darren to a certain extent because he'd been around the club for so long was another one of the old faces although do you know what I mean although yeah, although, yeah. although he was obviously a new manager and 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 and, 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 and you know at the time an exciting proposition we don't know how he's going to get on let's have a look you know let's, let's wait and see but I just think somebody completely fresh and completely new and just you know left field maybe someone not that you haven't heard of before, but do you know what I mean? Someone that has, has done well in Holland or whatever, or Belgium or something, I don't know. But it, it, it would be, that would be the way I would like to see them to go. Mm. Um, because I think that's what the fans are ready for. Yeah. Um, now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because you, you know, I'm plucking out a, a name from, I'm plucking out a, a mystery man from nowhere. So it's a lot harder to, to find that man. And, and you could understand why, after appointing Darren Moore, the club would go for someone like Hewton. Okay, we need someone a bit more experienced, but be a steady hand on the tiller. But I would like to see him go a bit bolder. You got to require a little bit of commitment when you do that as well, because you look at someone like Farker, and I know that the situations between Norwich and West Brom aren't exactly similar in terms of finances and stuff, but the club stuck with Farker when things weren't necessarily looking like they were going to go the right way. And then they have come good, so it requires a commitment from the club as well. You have to have faith in not only the manager but also what you're doing as well. And um, you know, it's a big summer ahead with 
with a lot of um, players likely to leave, and a lot of players like to come in. Aberdeen are going to try and get young, hungry players, you know, on on much less wages. You know, I think if someone like Connor Townsend, you know, that that Townsend didn't start great, mm. but he developed and improved over the course of the season. And I think actually by the end of the season, there were some fans saying, "Ah, oh, he's done quite well." Um, you know, young, hungry players like that who don't cost an arm and a leg, but desperate to play, desperate yeah. to perform, and with a good manager, will perform above and beyond what they're they're capable of in a, in, a, in a team. That's I think that is what you'd like to see. Now, again, it's easier said than done, um, but that that would, that would personally be my my desires for for who the next man is. Mm. Uh, Matt McFarlane um, are there any opposing players you've seen in the championship this season that you would think be a good signing for Albion this summer mm, yeah plenty but I suppose a few of them have gone, got promoted <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean in terms of the names that Albion have been looking at in the past I think Bradley Dack was, I, I was impressed with Dack when I saw him at Blackburn he's just such a tidy player on the ball yeah um, but you know, I'd, I'd imagine if he leaves Blackburn, he'd probably go to the Premier League potentially. Um, any others? Um, I liked um, Semi Ajay at Rotherham. I thought he was very good. Yeah. I think he's on loan from somewhere though, so I don't yeah, think he's, I don't think he's Rotherham's to sell. But um, I, I thought he was very good. Um, who else? Who I think else? you can take a pick of some of the Brentford players. Some of the Brentford players yeah, are very the, impressive. Some of the Brentford players are good. Um, more pay would probably would go to a, to a Premier League club if anyone gets him. Yeah, he'll be going for silly money. But some of the other players around him probably are very tidy. Ben Rama's a very good player. Again, a Premier League club probably pick him up. Um, yeah, and you know, the, there's others in there. I mean, Sawyer's is there and Watkins. There's... Um, well, yeah, I would, it's a good question. I'd have to probably think about it a bit deeper mm. and about the teams that we'd seen. But um, yeah, I mean, there are plenty. There, there are players out there who are suited to this league. I mean, they just need to buy Ollie Norwood, don't they? And guarantee promotion. That's what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, at your commander, uh, since Tuesday night, the club has, not, has, made, has made no official statement. Why is there no communication from those in charge acknowledging the season and giving us an update on what happens now regarding Shan and the manager search? This apparent apathy is a major source of fun, frustration, and annoyance. Well, I think there will be a statement in due course, and I'm, you know, we're hoping to speak to um, some members of the board uh, this week. So I, I don't think it's, um, I, I don't, th- <laughs> I think in this this age of of instant social media reaction, people want to see something straight away. But mm. um, you know, you if if you're going to release a statement like that about the next di- direction for the club you want it to be spot on yeah um, and you've got now what th- where are we now in May so you've got June, July, August you've got two and a half months until um, the next season kicks off um, you know I don't know whether if, if they'd released a statement on Tuesday night people would have criticised them for assuming they were going to be knocked out yeah wouldn't they so yeah. you know it's I, I think I'm sure there will be st- Statements and and words from the uh, the powers that be in in quite shortly. Yeah, GSWBA. Uh, if the club was run a bit better, do you think fans at the Hawthorns would be a lot more positive 
than they have been at times over the past few seasons. Therefore, we, therefore we would could get atmospheres like the one we saw on Tuesday night more often. Definitely. I think there is a concern, an underlying concern among the, the fan base about um, the ownership. Um, you know, Groucho and Lai didn't, didn't attend any of the games in the playoffs, although I believe he was he was planning to go to Wembley if, if they reached the final. Um, but the fact that he is an absent owner and willing to invest funds in the club does does hang over everything that happens. Mm. Um, then you've got you know the added um, impact of of what happened this season. You know some supporters still disagree with the with the fact that they sh- they sat down more while the team was in fourth. I think perhaps if you're being if you if if you if you're being as pragmatic as possible, it probably was the right decision. Considering what happened afterwards, and considering that Albion looked at that stage that they were going to fall out of the playoffs, mm. um, and similarly, I suppose you know you could argue at the time I thought you know they've got to appoint a manager now for the playoffs, um, but I think Jimmy Shan did a good job, um, and if you look at the table, um, I think it would have taken the new man. One after Darren Moore was sacked to win every single game to finish in the top two. Yeah, the the way that the season panned out with Sheffield United and, and Norwich, that was just never going to happen. No. So, and the fact that Shan was 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 doing an okay was doing an okay job or quite impressing. I also think he got really unlucky in the playoffs, as we said. Mm. So, the question is, would a would have a new manager at that stage would they would they have done any better with what happened? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I don't think so. I'm not convinced either. I mean, you, you never know. Maybe they maybe they would have been bold enough to take Gale off, or but I don't know. I mean, that that's the one thing that you would maybe say of Shan that he could have taken Gale off. But similarly, he probably had faith in Gale to dealing with that situation. Yeah. So I don't know. But now they've got the the thing is when they were when they were interviewing managers at the time after Darren sacking and before Shannon had been confirmed for the rest of the season you know a lot of them were saying I don't want I'm up for this in the summer but right now I don't want to have that missing out on promotion hanging over me next year when the fans are already well well, we came in and couldn't get us up you know I, I can understand the thinking there so I now though there is the pressure on to get the right appointment because they've had so long to to deliberate and and think about it and and and, f- and, d- and find a plan for next season. Um, there is the pressure. Um, I have completely forgotten what the question was because I've been rambling on. But um, it, was basically, it was basically just asking if the club was run a bit better, would we see more yes. atmospheres like no, we did I, on Tuesday I, night? But I do think, as I said, I do think that that Tuesday night was proof that the fans are ready and they really want to reconnect. They mm. really want to be swept up in something good. Um, like all fans do, I suppose. But, you know, it's there. It's so close. Yeah. But obviously, it's now up to the club and the board and the powers that be to deliver that future. Yeah, certainly. And the last question before we get onto one final segment um, from Greg uh, at Hess182. If we got to the final, who would be your starting eleven given the injuries and suspensions we had, and would Boilerman get on the bench? It's <laughs> a good question. I'd be starting myself, to be honest. <laughs> um, but if if they if they scrape through that penalty shootout, I, I suppose I would have gone with a similar system. Although I don't know against Derby, I'm not sure. Um, obviously, the back three were, were immense. You play those, you play 
probably play Gibson Holgate, so that's the back five sorted. In midfield, you'd, if your Hansen was fit, you'd hope you'd probably play him. Um, I, I still think Sam Field's been criminally underused. You know, he wasn't even on the bench on Tuesday, which, you know, beggars belief to me. I don't think he's put much, done much wrong in an Albion ship. Mm. Probably play Morrison. Bit of experience in there. Bring Morrison in for Brunt, maybe. Um, Rodriguez would have been okay by then. Uh, I wouldn't. Not. I don't know whether I would have played Murphy. I didn't, didn't think much of him. Um, you know, I don't know Edwards maybe, but that's quite a big occasion. Although he has scored at Wembley before, but yeah, um, yeah it, it would have been a patched-up team. So that's for sure. You might play Tosin Adarabio in in, in defensive midfield actually. Yeah. Um, you could have played a four-two-three-one with Adarabio uh, and. Or slash field with Morrison and, and Johansson, something like that. I don't know. But yeah. it's all moot now because they didn't get through. Exactly. Um, right, let's finish up. Uh, we're going to end on a high. Um, going to talk about the moments of the season. Uh, unfortunately, to do that, I'm going to talk about the worst moments and then the best ones. So, Matt, um, I'm going to ask you just a quick series of questions. You can just give me uh, your thoughts on them. So, what was your what was your worst moment of the season? Um, there's two, probably. Um, I would say... In the second place was probably the home game against Derby, four-one. Yeah, it was poor, very poor, and they got ripped to shreds. and And that was when the pressure started to to ramp up on Darren Moore um, for the first time. Um, and then I think the second one, or the the, the main, you know, the real low point of the season was the four-nil at Ellen Road. Yeah, that was when I, I started to have genuine concerns about about Darren's. Uh, managerial uh, ability in his future and you know the club Albin had these two massive games against Sheffield United and Leeds and if they'd won those or even won one of them they were right in the mix mm. and they lost them both now the first one against Sheffield United was 1-0 and they struggled to create too much but on another day they, they, they could have won that game Yeah, but that, that hammering by Leeds was 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 bad they were second best all over the pitch, and they didn't look like didn't look like to me that the coaching staff um, knew how to fix it. So um, I would go with that Leeds game. Worst goal conceded. Worst goal conceded. I think it was probably the first one that Middlesbrough scored. Um, the handball one uh, at the Riverside. No, at uh, at home. Oh. Johnston passes it out to Barry. Barry misses it. Borough break away and score and the last thing you want to do is give Pulis a 1-0 head start um, probably the second worst goal after that was the, the one that the one at the end of that game when the, when they scored their third and it was Brunt miskicked the ball you know it was that yeah those those were low ebbs mm. um, who was your biggest underperformer this season on the pitch hmm um, I would have to go with. I would say maybe Jacob Murphy. I when he came, I thought that was a great signing, mm. um, and he's just been. He's obviously got the talent, but he's just been so lightweight for me. I, I just you know he's. I've not been impressed, and you know I just. I, I, yeah, probably him. Probably him. Uh, worst away day. Maybe um, either Wigan or Hull, two one 0 defeats oh, yeah. in that in that run where 
um, were playing three at the back and just giving giving the opposition goals. I mean, those games they really should have won. Though they should, with the per, the personnel that they had, they should have been beating those get beating those teams. And who knows how the season would have been if if they'd done that? You know, they're, they're, that was back when we had Barnes. I mean, they they, yeah. they they had Barnes and Phillips was fit. They had Barnes, Phillips, Gale and Rodriguez, and to not score against Wigan or Hull. Yeah, should have been much better. Not a good look, that is it. Oh, Middlesbrough away is also was just dreadful because it was a ten-hour round trip, and you went up there to see a, a nil-nil, and then Ayala handles one in, and in the oh, injury yeah. time you have to go home um, with that. So yeah, Middlesbrough away is also dreadful. Traffic there on the way there was a nightmare oh. as well. Oh, that was bad. All right, okay, let's finish on the high then. Best moment of the season. Uh, best moment of the season. I mean, funnily enough, it might have been Tuesday when Dawson scores that goal. Yeah. I think when the players come out for me, I mean, it was pretty spectacular, but the goal, yeah, I mean, I the, the roof, the roof was nearly lifted off the Hawthorns, um, I think. I think I, you could have heard it from Villa Park. I think it might have been Tuesday. Um, you know, there were, there have been some other great moments. I mean, Gale's goal against Stoke. Would that be your best goal? Because I was going to ask you that. Yeah. I mean, that was unbelievable. The, the little roulade just before it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's just, I mean, you shouldn't be allowed to do that on a football pitch. Was, that was unbelievable. Um, other good moments, obviously, Barnes at Sheffield Wednesday, another great goal, solo goal. Um, in terms oh. of in terms of moments, I really enjoyed Sam Fields' goal against Bolton. Yeah. And also Carl Edwards' goal against Brentford. Um, you know, two goals by two academy lads. Out, you know, I've been through and through. That was that was pleasing because that's like, oh, that's this is why this is why you watch football and this is why fans hoped that relegation would be would actually be fun because you get Sam Field scoring the winner in a game or Carl yeah. scoring the winner in a game. That's what you want, you know. So those two are also great moments and and, and ones that will probably be, be remembered for for a while. Who was your player of the season? Gale, not Barnes. Who's only there for half a season. Oh, it's pretty special though. Good shot, good shot though, Gale. Gale. Gale's hands down my player of the season. He was absolutely brilliant. I also, I also think um, Higazi was 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 very um, was as um, consistent as he could be, really, with the style of football. But I thought Higazi did, had a good season um, and overall. And I thought um, I thought Rodriguez as well. I thought Rodriguez battled so hard. Mm. Just ran and ran and ran and ran. And, and you know, if 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 as you know, you always hear supporters say that we don't mind about quality as long as they run. Well, Rodriguez he scored twenty two goals and he also ran his socks off. So did Gale, to be fair. But yeah. you know, I think those are the, those are probably the top three. Um, and I would I would put I would put Gale at the very top. I thought he was yeah, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. And lastly, uh, what was your best away day? Best away day. Hmm. Uh, Villa Park for the first time 2-0 yeah I wasn't there for that one that was very good um, they were I mean you know they they weathered the storm scored two goals and saw it out it's, I always, mean, it's always good against a rival isn't yeah, it yeah I think I think that was that was very good um, try to think of other other good I mean Rotherham 4-0 that was quite good Gale's hat-trick but I felt bad for Rotherham that day. Yeah, I thought Rotherham had played well in the first 20 minutes, to be fair, first half an hour. Um, <laughs> Preston for me, purely for the pie. Preston was good, good pie. Uh, no, I would say I'd say Villa. I don't think much comes close to that. Fair points. Uh, right, we're going to be, we're going to get off then, aren't we? Now we're going to leave. We're going to do the end of this podcast. Um, end of the season. End of the season, indeed. Um, one more to go. 
uh, and hopefully like a we'll be talking about a new manager in. Yeah, um, and hopefully they get it done sooner rather than later. It'd be good to give them the new man a run up at the, uh, you know, at the um, at the season. Uh, you know, I suppose it sometimes gets forgotten that last season they had the disastrous appointment of. Uh, Tyrannio as the uh, as the technical director as well. That seems like years ago. Seems it like seems so ago. long ago. So they were always behind the eight ball in some ways, and then you had all the the, the um, controversies with uh, players not going to pre season and, and all that sort of thing. You know, Chris Brunt mentioned it the other day that they had about eight or ten senior players on the pre season trip. So yeah. for them to get to where they were, that's actually quite quite good and and fair play. You know, last summer Darren Moore. Um, and and Mark Jenkins as well. You know, a lot was on their shoulders because they had no te- technical director. Um, you know, it was it was it was essentially those two. And you know, for for them to to bring in the likes of uh, Barnes, Gale, oh, they deserve some credit for that. Mm. So although Gale sort of fell into their lap, but they still had to work for it. Um, you know, they still had to to, to no- negotiate that deal. So. You know, I think um, they deserve a bit of credit for that last summer, um, and you know we'll uh, we'll see what this summer brings. But hopefully, with a technical director in, um, you know, it's a, as I said earlier, it's a big summer for Luke Downing, but you know, it's it's, it's also a long summer. So hopefully, um, Albion can be competitive next season. They should be competitive next season. Um, and like I said, hopefully, we'll be talking about a new manager, a new exciting manager in uh, the coming weeks and I think we'll probably do a podcast when, when that is announced Yeah, um, maybe after the uh, after the press conferences and, and, and what not so we can give you a bit more in depth about that But um, so, so stay tuned for that um, but if not then uh, have a good summer yeah so that's it another season done and dusted keep your eyes open for that managerial special if and when uh, but until then we'll leave you up the Albion 